Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan. And today we are going to continue our throwback podcast conversation that Nika Spalding and I had with Philip Yancey a few years ago. And we're going to continue to talk about Jesus because, I mean, what else is there? I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Philip, I'd be curious, let's say you weren't a journalist for a day and you stepped into pastoral shoes and somebody came to you and just said, hey, in light of how Jesus would respond to the current cultural situation, how should I follow him? What are, what are ways that, as believers, we should be engaging with this cultural situation, knowing that we're image bearers of, of this God that we love so much? Mm. I remember talking one time to Ed Dobson. Ed Dobson was, uh, at one point, the special assistant to Jerry Falwell. He calls himself a fundamentalist. He went to a very conservative school. And then he became a pastor in, in Grand Rapids. He died just recently, had ALS. Mm. For quite a long time, it was it was quite a struggle. But when the AIDS crisis hit there, um, here he is, pastor of a Baptist church, and he went to the whatever the gay network was in Grand Rapids and, and said, church has really failed you guys. I, I presume you have some needs. How can we help? At first, they said, we don't want you. We don't want anything to do with you. He said, oh, I understand that. But we have some resources. We We can help you. I know you, you've got people who are sick. You've got people who need meals brought to them, and we can do that. And very warily at first, but gradually, they, uh, they, they opened their, their arms to him and his church people, and they started organizing these meals on wheels and things like that. And some of the people in the church changed their position on homosexual issues. Some of them did not, but the church saw we we have done wrong and we are here to serve. You know, mm-hmm. I think of, we just went through um, the Lent um, period in the last week of Jesus' life, and there's that wonderful story in uh, John 13 to 17, Jesus' last hurrah with his disciples where he's getting across two things that are most important. One is you lead by serving and he mm-hmm. washes the feet. Mm-hmm. And that follows, if you look at the harmony of the Gospels, that follows a scene where this woman of ill repute, a prostitute, anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then washed them with her hair. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, she got it. None of you got it. You're, you're arguing on who should be the vice president, you know, who should be next in the in line. James and John had this Jewish mother always trying to promote them, you know. <laughs> and, here <was> this, <laughs> and here was this prostitute oh. who, who got it. Yeah. And that's what you're here to do. You lead by serving. And then the other thing he said was, and, and the last prayer I have is that you would be one, that you would be known for your unity yeah. as the Father and the Spirit and I are. Mm-hmm. And boy, I look at how we've got, we have a long way to go for, for responding to those last requests of Jesus, to lead by serving and then to demonstrate unity to the rest of the world. Just to tie bow on this question, Sylvia, we did a webinar actually last fall with one of our members who uh, writes a blog on her post-gay journey into Christ-likeness. It's titled uh, Responding to Same-Sex Issues. That is, it's such a pressing topic in our culture today, and it's in desperate need of Christ followers who engage people with the love of God unconditionally and at the same time call them into a Jesus kind of life. Mm. Um, and, and again, those things are not mutually exclusive. 
um, we have to learn by the spirit teaching us how to do that better. Yeah, that's great. So let's keep playing the what if game because I'm enjoying this. And so let's just say uh, Jesus wasn't born 2000 years ago. Let's say Jesus is born now. Uh, and just kind of the question of if Jesus were walking around now, how would we and we being, I guess, just the, the Christian culture of America, if you could just really broadly think of we in that way. Um, how would we receive him if he was walking around day? And so, Nate, I know that you've done some work on this. I don't know if you want to jump in first and then. Yeah, the only thing I would say, and then I'll toss it over to Philip because, I mean, he's probably got a lot better ideas on this than me. But I think Jesus is would be just as, if not more, revolutionary today than he was 2000 years ago. I think it would be a wake up call for the Christian church to, uh, one, see ways that we have in a positive sense of accurately. Uh, viewed him and followed him. And then I think there would be some gaping holes where he shows up and all of a sudden the things, those sacred cows, if you want to call them that, that we've held on to and have become identifiers for us. I think, you know, if, I don't know, I'm just be blunt about it. I think Jesus would walk straight up to those things and just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but Philip, what, what do you think, man? <laughs> uh while you were asking the question, before I get to the Christian part, I was thinking of how the media would respond to Jesus. <laughs> we can answer that, too. Yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it, yeah. In some ways, I think they would be fascinated by him because he just he just doesn't fit the mold. <laughs> and, you know, I've been in these green rooms and the makeup people come in and, you know, they give you a different tie because the, the last one causes problems with the camera and all this kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and you got two minutes uh, to do your little sound bite. And meanwhile, they're playing these commercials. I remember uh, hearing Mother Teresa talk about she was she was in a green room waiting to be on the Today Show or one of those shows. And they had uh, one ad after another about how to lose weight, you know, <laughs> uh, this exercise plan or whatever. And she's, she's trying to feed people. She's trying to keep them alive. They're starving. <laughs> and, you know, um, uh, we just, this is the background we live in, these yeah. terrible ironies going on in the world. And, and Jesus doesn't let those things go. He's going to point them out. And he's the threat. So I, I think we would probably do to him what they did to him in his day. Yeah. We'd kill him. Yeah. We, you know, what happened to Gandhi? What happened to Martin Luther King? What happened to Malcolm X? Anybody who doesn't fit the system, we, they're a great threat. Mm. And, of course, as we know, Jesus was clear about this. He, he came to die. He knew he was going to die. Yeah. And I was just reflecting on this in an Easter blog I wrote. And... Uh, I said it's kind of like blowing on a dandelion. You don't kill the dandelion. You set it loose. You know? yeah. <laughs> I was just out picking dandelions in my yard. The one I missed last year is now 100. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. and, and that's the way that that's what Jesus had in mind in the beginning. Yeah. So um, I think he would be a threat to uh, certainly the culture, American. It's a celebrity culture. It's a mm. materialist culture. He'd definitely be a threat there. And he would be a threat to our churches, too, because he was a radical. And our churches, in contrast to some other places I've been, our churches are their institutions. You know, they've got big buildings, they've got budgets, they've got committees. And I, I don't know how Jesus, <laughs> how he would fit in there, what he would think about it, but he would be a threat for sure. Yeah, there's the old story. Uh, this is in, uh, I don't even know who to attribute it to, so take it for a grain of salt, but the point is taken. So this, uh, the guy comes from 
underdeveloped country where they don't have all the resources. He comes to America and his friend tours him around, you know, all these mega churches and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, uh, at the end of his time, the guy doesn't say a whole lot. And then at the end of the time, he's like, well, you know, what did you think about all this stuff? And the guy ends up quicking. He's like, well, I'm, I'm amazed at, at how much you can do without Jesus. There is something to be said of like, hey, and, and look, I'm, I'm not going to diss structure. Sure. And because I do think that there, there is a, a trellis that's needed for vine growth to really take place. But but I do think that as we are talking about this, there, there does need to be some self-examination to ask these hard questions. Hey, how would I have responded to Jesus? And, and I think that when I look at myself in the mirror and take an honest look at that question, a lot of times I don't like what I see. Mm. Um, a lot of times we, we can get so wrapped up in our doctrinal orthodoxy in standing for, you know, the reliability of scripture for these, these things that are, and those are important, but again, those are not essential. essential right? and, and so we end up uh, mistaking things for God himself. And, and so I would just encourage everybody who's listening as I'm encouraging myself right now, uh, read through the gospels, encounter Jesus, the risen Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and ask the questions like, Hey, what are those areas of my life that if you were here, um, you would either one come under and support and deploy. And then what are those other areas that, man, those things just need to die. So good. Uh, yeah. Good. So in the uh, one of the main contributors to my theology is the show Scrubs. And so um, <laughs> there's, this, uh, there's this funny episode where there's basically three vignettes in the episode and there's three people in each of the three vignettes. And, and one person is heading towards trouble and the other person's trying to stop them. And then they finally need a third person to intervene and stop the person. And and so the, so the middle person goes to them and go, what, how did you know what to say or what to do to stop this person? And all three vignettes in the same way with them going, because I know him, because I know him, because I know her. I mean, they just come back to that. And I think um, that, mm-hmm. that story comes back to me over and over again, because I think about sort of as we're talking about this image of Jesus, so many times people describe him. And then you ask the question, well, how do you know that? And I think mm-hmm. people go, well, how, because I know him. Mm-hmm. And so I think to bring this back to just. You know, Philip, as you talked about your your image of Jesus from, uh, you know, sort of going from this childhood upbringing in a, in a in the more fundamentalist group to now writing, you know, a bestseller in the Jesus I Never Knew. How do we recover a more accurate image of Jesus? How do we get to the point where we go, well, because I know him. I, I know him. I know what he's really like. So how how do we do that? In the book, I talk about an exercise I went through. I was teaching a class. I think you've had classes like that in, in your own church. And I. I decided to start with movie portrayals of Jesus. And the way I ran the class was I would, uh, I would make copies, Xerox copies of the passage of the day. Um, don't tell anybody because I'm not sure I wrote for copyright permission. Or anyway. <laughs> we, may, we may or may not have done that. <laughs> okay. And then I would, uh, so everybody's got the Bible in front of them and everybody has these preconceptions. Then I would show maybe five clips from movies. I had, I had a, a whole drawer full of, this is back in the VHS days, you know, and I had a, a whole drawer full of these movies, and I choose four that were radically different portrayals of whatever scene I was talking about. And then I would I'd pop one in, and I'd pop the other one in, and I'd say, what do you think? Who, who got it right? Pop the third one in, pop the fourth one in. And by the end, 
nobody knew what happened. Today. <laughs> now, let's, now let's look at what the Bible says. And we had kind of cleaned away our biases, you know, our preconceptions. And I, how do I do that today? Well, I would recommend finding a, a really kind of funky version of the Bible. The message, for example, would be one. Or, I don't know if it's even still around, but when I was young in my faith, the cotton patch version of the Gospels, <laughs> that really radical translation, that takes the story and kind of put, cotton patch would put it in modern context. So instead of the Good Samaritan on the way to Jericho, it was between Jonesboro and Atlanta, Georgia, and the Samaritan was a black man helping a white man, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so thanks to, now, obviously, there's some people who weren't raised in the church, so you, you come at it without those biases, which is great. Just read the Bible straight, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you don't have to do through that, go through that. But I, I like to be pushed. I like to be stretched. So I go to people who I'm not like, but I that bother me, and I need to learn from people like radicals, people like Shane Claiborne mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, lives in the inner city on almost nothing, as a total pacifist. You know, I, I'm not these things. But he does it because he's following Jesus. So I think I got to listen to what he says. Or not too far away from him, there's a group of uh, Hatterians. And these are like Mennonites on steroids. You know, they, <laughs> they, they all live in community and, and they're really devout and they're total pacifists. And I, I learn from these people because they're dealing with the same. They are that way because they believe Jesus wants them to be yeah. that way. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure you remember for a while there are a lot of people wearing these WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Yeah, I, I still wear them. I never, I never wore, I never wore one of those because I, I think that's, I think that's the wrong, uh, the wrong question. Uh, to me, the question is, what would Jesus want me to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus was a radical. He was a prophet. He never married. Yeah. He didn't own anything. Um, he spoke in uh, hyperbole. That doesn't mean I should do all those things. Right, right. But because he lived, I need to live differently. Okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I mean, the Apostle Paul didn't live like Jesus. Mm. Some of the disciples had had wives were very different. Mm. But because of Jesus, I have to examine all of those things and say, okay, he told me, he came to tell me what God is like, and he came to tell me what we should be like. Or what, So how, what should, how should I respond? How should I be? What would Jesus have me do? Mm. One of the, I remember just, I didn't really grow up in the church. And so in some ways I had a little bit of a clean slate of Jesus, but in other ways, the culture taught me a lot about yeah, Jesus yeah. growing up in Oklahoma and Bible Belt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, as a, as a young woman, what I learned about Jesus and how men and women relate was not always positive and certainly not in accord with uh, what I would want in, in a savior that I was following. And I remember there just being a very poignant moment reading John four and seeing um, Jesus' interaction with that woman at the well and, and just going, I think I think that my idea of how Jesus feels about women or how men should feel about women maybe has been shaped more by cultural attachments than by, by the Savior himself. And so for me, that was such a vivid moment of sort of relearning what Jesus was like. And just Philip, in your own life, was there a moment, something you learned as a child about God that maybe Jesus corrected or about about Jesus that, I mean, just as you got to know him in your journalistic ways that you just thought, okay, that's really refreshing to know it's not like that. Yes. Um, when people say, okay, you grew up in this, I call it a toxic church that gave you all these bad images. So 
how do you get out of that? How do you recover from that? And the story is that I was taught by all the people around me that I was a rebel, I had a terrible heart, and God was going to smash me. God was going to break me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a rebel, you just, yeah, okay, I'll just get tough. Let him try. Let him try. Yeah. And, you know, just steeled myself. And exactly the opposite happened. I I say uh, the things that brought me back to God were these three things, the beauties of nature, classical music, and romantic love. Mm-hmm. And those things convinced me that the church had lied to me, that God was not this angry, smashing cop trying to kill people, you know? Um, God was an artist who wanted to give us these beautiful gifts that I was experiencing. And, and as I experienced them, I wanted to know that artist. I came across this quote from G.K. Chesterton that said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he has a deep sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. Mm. Yep. And that's how I felt. I was feeling the gratitude and I had no one to, to thank. And if you go back and just read the Gospels, Jesus was... He was a live human being who's walking in a real world, and his stories are brilliant. I've tried to write parables. You can write one or two, and then you run out of ideas. I mean, they are hard. <laughs> Jesus did like 36 of them without even thinking. You know, somebody asked him a question, well, let me tell you a story. And what are the stories? They're stories of, of eating dinner and, and a wedding banquet and and uh, shepherds and growing crops and, you know, just life. Jesus was was a life giver, a life giver. Mm-hmm. And the church I grew up in seemed to be a life shrinker. Mm-hmm. And and so it was that hinge moment of realizing that that God is not the enemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm my own enemy. God is a God of grace who has lavished this world with beauty, with love, with these great gifts. And he wants us to enjoy them, to thrive in the midst of them. and he has some ideas about the best way to do that. You know, those are called the laws. And I, I've concluded he's right about all of those things. Uh, so I, I learned them. But the, the key thing was that image of God. And I love this phrase. It's in the book of Hebrews, I think, that Jesus is the exact image of the inexpressible God. Mm-hmm. There's no way we can get our minds around God. We can't visualize God. He's forbidden us to do any graven images. But he gave us a human being. He gave us somebody like us that we could relate to. Oh, that's what God is like. And this phrase from a British bishop a couple of centuries ago, he said, in God is no unchrist likeness at all, mm-hmm. which is just a fancy Anglican way of saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Yes, yeah. And if your image of God does not match what you see in Jesus, you need to you need a new image. You've got it wrong. Yeah, that's it. great. As we tie this up and talk about some implications for all of this, one of the passages in the Gospels that's meant an enormous amount to me, and it, I meditate on it, and I'm like, yeah, I think it'll probably, I'll be on my deathbed, Lord willing, in a long time, still wondering about this. <laughs> but the crazy thing about studying the life of Jesus, as I've been a student of Jesus now for a while, um, is that There's the contextual and the background study that help us understand his life and why he was responding in some of the ways that that Philip was talking about in his context. You know, why did he overturn tables? Why did he, you know, what what was the background to all of that? So it's kind of like, hey, you need to kind of understand this stuff in order to put the actor on the stage. But then it, it dawns on you at some point that 
uh, when Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right, which a lot of people look at and say, oh, man, it's, that's kind of his marching orders for us. We've got to get busy for Jesus. You know, this some, a lot of times when I see it, it's like this neurotic thing. It's weird. But uh, to go make disciples. And, and, uh, and yet you see all saturated through Scripture. You see this phrase that Yahweh tells to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, you will be my people. I will be your God. And I will dwell with you. So Moses encounters uh, Yahweh through the burning bush and, and Yahweh sends him to Egypt and he says, but I will be with you. Jeremiah, he commissions to speak against Israel right. and Jeremiah balks at him. He's like, no, I will be with you. Like there's this sense of God is doing what God is doing and he's using us um, to uh, participate with him. And that's what's so crazy when Jesus <laughs> hits the scene and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am with you. Right? Always. I'm with you always mm-hmm. to the end of the age. And th- this is the crazy thing, you know, blows my mind. Um, and and you, you mentioned, you alluded to it a little bit before when you talked about John 17, Philip, but John 17, the, the chapter ends with these two verses, he says, Jesus is praying to the father right before he goes to the cross. He says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Mm. And then this is the crazy part as if that's not crazy (laughs) enough, right? Not only is the love of God in them, but that I myself may be in them. And the, look, the beauty of the gospel is that we are rebellious traitors who, through the love of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have been made sons and daughters again. And not only sons and daughters, but sons and daughters who are indwelt by the presence of Jesus. <laughs> like, what in the world? That is crazy. And so, in a lot of ways, it's like, hey, Jesus is still, uh, not in a lot of ways, in every way, Jesus is still alive. Mm-hmm. He's still moving. He's yeah. dwelling people. He's empowering them to live the, the kind of life that he lived and to do so as little Christ's who permeate the world. So um, wow. I, that was just a, a thought that I had. Philip, any, any last thoughts before we? Yes. I, you know, a lot of people have the idea, you played football, a lot of people have the idea that the uh, the story in the Bible is a bit like a football team. So they try the pass and that doesn't work, keeps getting intercepted. So then they turn to the run, that doesn't work, so they punt, you know? <laughs> and uh, no, so God the Father tried this with the nation of Israel. Oh, I guess that didn't work out so well. So I'll send my son. Oh no, they killed him. Now what I'm going to do? Oh, there's the Holy Spirit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, the whole thing was planned from the beginning. Yeah, it's good. Clear about that. And, and look at each of those stages, a God who, who not even Moses could stand toe to toe with, you know, he'd come out glowing and everybody would faint. I can't look at you. Mm-hmm. Very few could relate to, to God, Yahweh. And then Jesus came and you could talk to him. You could argue with him. You could kill him. You could mm-hmm. crucify him. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, you could, you could get a picture of what God is like, the most important message. And Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm really not leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm in you. And it's called, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Exactly what you said. I'm not going away. In fact, I'm coming closer than I've ever been before. I will be inside you. And we're called the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not here anymore in flesh on earth, but Jesus is here. Yep. And he's here in us. And it's up to us to look like Jesus. 
I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Philip Yancey. I'd encourage you to check out his books. You can get them anywhere books are sold. And if you like what you heard, then subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, tell your friends about it, all of those things. And if you have any questions or have any recommendations about topics you'd like for us to cover, then shoot us an email at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Until next time, peace. Peace.